This episode of the Eggology Club podcast is sponsored by Eucora. Now you can prevent UTIs from ever happening with Eucora's Pink Lemonade. Just mix a pack of Eucora with a glass of water and drink it when you are at risk of developing a UTI. It gives your body all the defenses it needs. It tastes great and it's easy to do. Eucora's ingredients are proven to reduce UTI incidence by more than 75%. Eggology Club listeners can get 20% off their first order with discount code EGGCLUB. Go to Eucora.com. U-Q-O-R-A.com and give it a try because life's too short for another UTI. This is Egology Club Podcast, episode number 10, Birthday Deadlines. Welcome to a new club, the Egology Club. This podcast is redefining the modern day journey to parenthood. Meet your co-hosts and new BFFs, Riddell, Valerie, and Kara. We're sharing our unfiltered real life stories, and we hope you join the conversation too. Follow us at eggologyclub.com. Hi, and welcome to Egology Club episode number 10. This is so exciting. We have been reading and watching our podcast grow, and I just want to thank all the listeners and everyone that's tuned in and all the new listeners. If this is your first podcast, welcome. Make sure you check out some of the earlier episodes because they're just really exciting interviews and information about egg freezing, fertility planning, cryopreservation, all that good jazz is there for your for your benefit. We have an exciting show planned both Rodell and Kara, you know, have busy schedules and are in the swing of things and couldn't make the recording of this episode, but they were a part of the interview that I have later today. I do have the beautiful and wonderful Stephanie Linder with me, and she is the founder and creator of lostinlinderland.com. So hi, Stephanie. Hey, Val. How are you? Great. Thanks for coming back on the show. It's so exciting to have you here. Thank you. I love it. I love being here. Stephanie was on the last episode, episode nine of Egology Club podcast and you can hear more about her journey and her story and how she just up and quit her job and is now traveling after she decided to egg freeze and it was a fun one. What's harder egg freezing or podcasting? I don't know they're (laughs) equally challenging when you first start out right? Very different. Today's episode we're talking to Sarah Lenti. She is a Washington correspondent she has kind of an untraditional uh, path to parenthood which we'll hear her story and you know something that kind of sparked my thought process this week about how our birthdays have come and gone or are coming up. It's like almost New Year's on your birthday. I don't know how you feel about birthdays, Stephanie. Yeah, I I mean, I love them. I mean, they're a reason to not only have fun and get together with your best friends, but I mean, it's definitely, I get your point. It's a time of reflection. I always reflect back on where I was the year prior or the year before that. I started a lot of traveling like you had done um, in in my early 30s. For the last five years, I have gone to a unique place, which was kind of fun and exciting and enjoyable because then I mark that city for that year of my 30s, right? But right. Um, this year was kind of different where I didn't necessarily have a birthday trip planned as usual. I gave myself a lot of deadlines and I'm egg freezing again this year. So right. it's like I got to put priorities in place. Am I going to go on a huge fun vacation or am I going to freeze my eggs? Right. Again? Well, that's very uh, insane 
insightful and smart of you. And, and that's how you have to make it happen. It's yeah. not fun to miss out on the trips that no. maybe your friends are going on or you see the photos on Facebook. Or but all the vacations people just finished. Like uh, looking at all the, you know, Instagram oh, just, stories. Just wait till it's January in Chicago. People <laughs> migrate out of here like mad. It's yeah. Insane. You know, actually, the winter vacations, I feel like, are more fun than the summer ones. The summer ones, I want to be here. Oh, yeah. I don't. I didn't leave Chicago ever in the summer if I could help it. Yeah. Why? Well, I feel like the summer is so busy, too. I mean, I definitely have that wanderlust mentality. They'll come visit you in Columbia. I'm hoping so. Yeah. We can do oh, your first international podcast, perhaps. Yeah, I'll bring the, the podcast on the road. Right. And I think we talked about this in the last episode, but there are so many women out there that have questions about egg freezing or fertility in general, and especially the woman who likely wants to travel and wants to put this as a priority is not the woman who wants to have kids tomorrow. So it's likely it has to be in the back of their head, right? Yeah. So I think you'd have a, a unique audience for it. Yeah, you're right. Um, I think that like when we listened to Sarah's story today, you know, it was interesting because a lot of acquaintances that I have online, they like know I do fertility activism. And the CNN story of Sarah Lenti dropped. My inbox was like, pinging me every couple minutes like hey did you see the CNN story so this oh, was of course something that um, I talk about on a regular basis and was so kind to share the story with me which is interesting but well, you live and breathe fertility and egg I freezing do, don't I you do <laughs> I'm kind of like the egg freezing geek yeah <laughs> yeah and I say that with love you are using your creativity by creating podcasts experience egology club interviewing people so this is your outlet and I just I think like it's giving a platform for people to tell their story because I think the storytelling art it's tricky and when you can find somebody that's willing to share I really think that's valuable for other people because you don't know who else is out there and it makes you realize that you are not alone. You have other people that are in your tribe. Just like the seasons are changing right now, so do the seasons of our lives. And we can't control what happens. And that's why egg freezing, I feel so passionately about it, is right. because at least it gives you options. As women, we love to get opinions from our friends and other women, right? So you're doing that with this podcast. Why have you gotten a text message from your friends? What are you wearing tonight? Why yeah. do you care what I'm wearing? They, you want to feel like you're a part of something. We're, exactly. Are we gatherers by nature, I guess? Uh, I don't know if that comes into play. Or do play. we care too much what everyone else thinks? Maybe it's, it's <laughs> definitely all of the above. Yeah. Definitely all of the above. It's our society, I think. Let's dive into Sarah's interview. Riddell and Kara were able to help me with this interview, so it was a fun time on the phone with them. We'll listen in and then comment after we're done. That sounds great. Okay. Hey, we have Sarah Lenti on the phone. Hey, Sarah. Hey there. How are you? Hi, Sarah. Welcome Hi, Sarah. to the Egology Club. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be on today. Of course, of course. And uh, to our guest, uh, Sarah Lenti, uh, you might have read about her in the article on CNN. She was on the front page. The article was single, childless, and nearing 40. And uh, came out this past April. If you haven't read it, definitely Google it. It's an amazing read. Uh, she worked on uh, Capitol Hill uh, under Condoleezza Rice, native Washingtonian, for a number of years. Currently living in Denver. Sarah, just you know, tell us about you and your and your journey uh, of IVF and motherhood and conceiving your two beautiful twin boys. <laughs> Love to. So I, I guess I'll start off. I um, have read all of your bios and know your story, and I think I was struck 
initially and immediately by your talking about your dating strategies in DC and Chicago and how they're not, you know, going so well. Um, so I'll just start with, you know, I was in, in DC from the age of 24 up working at the White House National Security Council, very career focused initially. Um, and, you know, I, uh, I was in a really bad relationship in my late twenties, early thirties and kind of was having a moment where I was kind of realizing what was around me and thinking, you know what, I, I, I really want to be a mom. I'm not sure this window, this relationship I'm in, again, this is like the 30s, early 30s, is going to work. It was particularly bad. So I journaled on the day I turned 30 that um, when I turned, I, the magic number was 38. I was going to do something about it, um, in, meaning my chances of shot at motherhood if I wasn't in a relationship, if I weren't married, you know, so forth, so on. So fast forward to uh, the age of 36, I froze my eggs like I, a lot of your listeners are, might be considering or have already have done. Um, that went relatively well. And, you know, I, I decided to wait it out just a little longer, you know, moved to Denver. Who knows if you're going to meet people. Did not move to Denver in, with the expectation of moving to find someone and meet someone. I just needed to get out of Washington. It was time. I'd been there for 13 years so you know my 37th birthday rolled around nothing had changed so that magic year of 38 came and and I then had to really stop and think about do I want to adopt do I want to do IVF so that that was my real um that was a big year for me first of all we love that you uh journaled and you share about that I too found myself um divorced and 30 and um had heard about fertility and egg freezing and things and so journaling is so important for some of us to like get out on paper and you know reflect back what is what what our priorities are um so were there you know the journaling experience for you was it you know whenever you felt like it or did you have a routine or anything like that or or what what was that like it's funny it always seemed to happen around my birthdays um on january 3rd so it just kind of happens at the beginning of every year i'm kind of setting goals, you know, I, I, it's kind of like a pattern that I fall into journaling at the beginning of every year. And it, um, sometimes it sustains itself. Sometimes it drops off midway through the year, but that's just kind of something that I've always done and checked in and made charts and decided, you know, here's, here are my financial goals. Here are my personal goals. Here are my friendship goals. You know, here are my family goals. So that's how that really started for me. And I, I also journaled throughout my entire pregnancy, but I definitely think it's a good way to keep yourself in check. And, you know, years can go by and you're not really realizing what the heck is going on, you know, and we women have a limited in terms of our fertility, have a limited window. So I think, I think, it's, I think it's a good exercise for people that are sorting through what they're going to do. How did Denver come up? Um, did you have family out oh my, there? No, my sister was sitting out in New Mexico where she's also political. She was working for the governor of New Mexico. Um, and I, had, like I said, I, I was sick of DC. I love the West and I just started a political consulting firm. So I knew I needed to be in Washington constantly, you know, to make this, to make it a go. But I also realized having lived on Capitol Hill, you know, I, you know, I had all these clients, but don't have to go into their offices every day. So it kind of was senseless for me to be living in DC, paying DC prices when I could live anywhere and fly back. And so the estimation with Denver was that it was West enough. And you, you know, you can get on a flight anywhere for basically two and a half hours, three hours, and you're anywhere in the country. So I just kind of put my finger on a map and wanted to do a reset. And I think in the back of my head, truly, you know, the thought of being single, potentially doing something big alone, it's not something I wanted to do in Washington. 
I kind of wanted to get out. Literally, I'll never forget it, Sarah. I look at CNN yeah. every day around lunch. I read the headlines. Your article's there. I reach out to Valerie and Ray Dow. I text them the article. We and all had seen it, too, Amazing. On our own. On our own. Oh. And all of our friends were texting us about the article because they all knew we were egg freezers and big advocates for it. We started this big guest list for the show. You were our first guest. We added to that list when we planned this podcast. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So just, just thank you for being a part of it. You know, just back to your story. Here you are. Yeah. You're Denver. You're Denver. a native Washingtonian moving to a yep. new place, about to do a whole yep. new chapter of life. Take us through that. Did the dating thing in Denver. I tindered it up. I did match. I did okay Cupid, which I called okay stupid. I mean, we, you know, <laughs> I did all of them, had some mm, flings, some that were longer than others. And just, there's a lack of seriousness. People didn't even, you, know, you couldn't even get to a committed semi-committed dating relationship you know there was the, there were those people that wanted to see you kind of every six weeks which is kind of absurd but you know you go with it or at least I found myself going with it thinking well if I don't go with it I'm you know I'm out of the dating game so and it was that's kind of like a pretty pathetic place to find yourself where you're kind of like I was lowering my standards and you know what I, you know, I could sit there and I could berate myself for doing that, but it's what it was. And I finally think that's what finally pushed me to kind of just be like, enough, this is ridiculous. So I, I came to the point where I thought, what am I going to do? So I know a lot of people question, why not adoption? And adoption is a wonderful thing. And maybe down the road in, in a couple of years, if I, you know, my sons, um, I've got everything calm and we're in a financial place, maybe I'll consider adoption. But for me, I, I think there was something about understanding that, I was going to be a single mom, and if, if I had just one child, you know, my, I didn't think I was going to get pregnant, right? So, but if I did, and wouldn't that be wonderful and incredible, and wouldn't it be amazing to have the bloodline? So, even if the child wasn't going to have a father, he would be related to me. He'd be related to my his grandfather, to his cousins, to, you know, his aunt. Like, he's a, he's a part of the bloodline, or she. So, that, that was important to me personally. And when it came to finances, IVS is probably slightly cheaper than the adoption route, at least from what I was seeing. Um, and I just thought I'd give it a shot. And if it didn't work, then I'd um, go the adoption route. So that's how I ended up at IVF versus adoption. Do you get a lot of comments about that yes. choice? Really? Yes, I did. Uh, maybe some people think it's selfish. Maybe some people think there are all these children in the world without parents, and that's true. Um, that's totally true. But look, I was up against one other thing, which is parents that didn't quite understand what I was about to do. I think, you know, and if I had adopted a baby, maybe that would have been easier for them to swallow but at the same time I thought this is going to be their flesh and blood like this is their grandchild and like I don't know it was just it was important to me so I just I, I went with it and I'm, I'm glad I did frankly my parents struggled initially and they, they'd admit it and now they are like the number one fans and I think my mom's like the best advocate for IVF now ever she gives my name out to random woman in Richmond Virginia so I, my mom is always like do you mind if I have this girl text you or email you and so it's just it was a full circle when it got down to me actually going for IVF um I was actually 39, there's an empathy there that I think is really important when you are getting ready to do IVF. It's very important, I think, that your doctor responds to you, is talking to you. It's not just him, but the, the team of nurses, etc. But we got down to it, and my numbers were still good. And he really impressed upon me that we're going to go with a fresh, we're going to try a fresh cycle as opposed to your frozen eggs, because fresh is always better than frozen, so long as your numbers are still good. And so I didn't think my numbers would be good at 39 
and they were. And that's not to say that you shouldn't be freezing. You should, but I was just pleasantly surprised because it, when it comes to IVF, the fresh cycle is typically better than a frozen cycle. So, and now I've got all these frozen eggs, and again, I could do something with them later in life if I chose that I wanted to expand my family, or you know, you can donate them to science, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So let's back up to the time when you froze your eggs. How many did you freeze? And how old were you? And what year was this? Yeah, I was 36 years old. And it's funny, I my cycle, I got, I had 12, at the end of it, I had 12 eggs and I froze them all because they all looked good. When I did this at 39, here's what's interesting. I was slow to react to the Clomid and to the injections. So he just kept me going. And at the end of it, I ended up with 22 eggs. Wow. That's at 39. I responded better. It was very, but I don't want to give this like, Oh, it's fine to just wait till you're 39 and just go for IVF. That's, you know, something was just clicking and maybe it was just, who knows, but like that it was, yeah, it was quite a a different response. The hard part is so you you go in, you know, you have your retrieval. I had 22. I was, I, I was crying. I mean, I cried. I couldn't believe it. And then you have to wait. So then they fertilize. You have to wait till the next morning to see how many embryos, actually took. Um, and they told me that half usually die off immediately. So I ended up the next morning, they called and I, I was so nervous and I ended up with 17 embryos oh of those embryos. I know it was great. Of those embryos, you have to grow them. Right. And I ended up with what he considered seven perfect embryos. So, so did you have, um, did you have testing done on each embryo that's no, often called PGS, I did not. PGD? I didn't have the money to. Um, so he just, I, I trust my doctor. I know seven, there were seven seemingly perfect. He looked very closely and he said, you know, they, they, they look really good. These two are your best. Um, how many do you want? And I said, three. And he said, no way. I'll never forget it. And I said, you know, I was like, kind of like, how dare you? Like, what do you, I was like, I'm not going to get pregnant. Like you might, like, I'm not going to do this again either. Like I'm not going to save 15 grand and be back in, you know, six months time. And he said, Sarah, they look too good. He said, you're going to get pregnant. And, uh, <laughs> I said this in the CNM piece and he said, justify too. I said, if they're not going to have a father, they'll have each other. And he said, good answer. Let's go for it. So it was like one of those surreal moments. Like you're I'm like, I'm actually having this conversation with my doctor who's not letting me put in three, but you know, good for him because I, the, I my twins ended up coming very early. Had there been a third, the likelihood of them all making it was rare, right? I had a 3.7% chance of two live births given my age um, and given all of it, right? In vitro, all the hormones. Um, so he was wise in counseling me with that. And also had I ended up with three healthy children, I would have, I mean, twins and being single is hard. I would have, I, I, I would never have made it being out in Denver alone. Yeah. You know it what they say when the kids you start out your hands or the parents, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're already behind the curveball. Um, Sarah, can we uh, talk a little bit about how you went about choosing a sperm donor and picking sure. the father of your child and, and how you went through that process? Mm-hmm. So for me, I made it kind of fun. I was, you know, you get on, first of all, my doctor said, use this bank or that bank. And I used a donor bank. So he said, just don't even bother with the others. Use one of these two. So I, again, I listened to him and I went. And then from there, I put in, you know, I, I, I let me back up. I've had friends that have done the, this firm search and they're so worried about IQ and so worried about how smart they are. Firm shopping and can that, be exhausting. Right. So I just kind of went with aesthetics. And I know that sounds superficial, but, it, but it, you know, I was like, but who would I want to date? 
who, I mean, who would I be attracted to as a human being? I mean, I first I made sure that all the health lined up, right? Because you can do that. That's one of the benefits of going with a sperm donor is you can see, oh, no history of cancer, no um, mental illness, no, I mean, you could just a host of things, no addiction, no diabetes. So that's really an excellent thing. Um, and you don't do that when you date someone or, you know, get engaged. You don't say, did your grandfather die of a heart attack? Like, it doesn't happen, right? Not that, I'm, not in my world. Um, anyway, so I did an aesthetic search, came up with 10, and then I kind of, I focus grouped it. So I went to like five girlfriends and I said, which ones should I knock out or which ones do you like? And we got, got me down to five. And then I did the same exercise with one other person, got me down to three. With my final three, I sent everything to my sister and I said what do you think and my number one was her number one and so that's how I chose a donor that is a cool story it was like you're you're running your own like bachelorette you're like giving out roses I loved it (laughs) I mean it was kind of overwhelming you could sit there and I didn't want to make this like a two-month process so I did it in a week I was like I'm just gonna like get this done so when you had the embryos created did you Mm -hmm. go through a selection process similarly and choosing which embryos were going to go in did you have a preference no my doctor again I did no testing my doctor literally said here are the seven he's like these two these are these you know so they write they write the embryos and he put in my top two based on whatever genetic or the way they, they split in a certain manner and they're supposed to look a certain way and you know you can see when they do, when they're not the right way and they haven't divided they're supposed to divide by a certain amount with each day and etc were they day five embryos they were great they were awesome yeah and then i flew to london because i was overwhelmed like the whole having to wait 10 days to see where your hormone levels are was awful Right. So I was like, let me, I had a dear couple that's a men, uh, mentors of mine that live in London. They're like, come, you know, they put me up. They had gone through in vitro in the eighties and it hadn't, hadn't happened for them, but they knew what I was up against. And so it was like one of the most wonderful acts of kindness ever. So I went all hopped up, all bloated, like, you know, just not feeling great after the in vitro process, but flew to London and spent the better part of a little bit less than of the 10 days there. So that when I got back to Denver, I only had like two or three days until my blood work um but there I'll tell you they tell you don't take pregnancy tests I was like okay not gonna take a pregnancy test because you're popped up on hormones right so it's gonna be a false positive but anyway come day five after the in vitro I just I bought went and bought like 20 pregnancy tests and I started taking like four a day the one time you didn't listen to your doctor I I I did not I did not and every I mean and I was positive, positive, positive. I was like, this is not happening. And then, you know, day eight, I was still positive. And I was going back and buying more. It was like, a, it's addictive. It's like, it's very hard to wait. <laughs> um, so then I went, I can remember I had, went and had my blood work done. And I was outside of a frozen yogurt shop in Denver when the doctor called. And he said, your numbers are X. I don't remember what the exact number was. I, I, I journaled it because I was journaling this the whole pregnancy. Um, and he's like, we want you to come back. He's like, they're double what they should be, which indicates that two have taken. You know, I hung up the phone just like kind of like, you know, again, bawling and wowed. It was just one of those moments I can't really describe. And getting to the heartbeat was the next one, which was eight weeks, which was, you know, then you had to wait to see if you actually were going to have heartbeats. So, you know, and I knew the risks of miscarrying early on. And so that was another hellacious additional six weeks to get to that next eight week um, mark. So were your parents not 100% on board or, or supportive as you would have liked in the beginning? They were not on board. 
they were not on board. They said, you know, um, I was the day that I implanted. They, uh, I called them and I said, like, you're not going to call, like, they because they were asking about how the embryos were doing. They were very interested. So I got to day five, no call, and I thought, I said, you know, I said this is like one of the most consequential days of my life. Not to be rude, but like this is a game changer for me and I only get to do this once. And like, you are going to call. It was a bit of an argument between my mom and I. We've worked through that, right? But, you know, she said they had huge concerns about me bringing a child or potentially two into the world without a father. They were, I think more than anything, my mom said, Sarah, it wasn't that we didn't trust you. It was like, that was so foreign to us and we worried about you. You know, and and kudos to you for following your own path. I mean, you knew your parents loved you no matter what, but for right. them growing up in a different generation, having a hard time wrapping their head around it, kudos to you for still powering through. I mean, that's it's it's a true test to how strong you know you are. And um, thank you. Something in your article, I I just I mean, I love the whole thing, but the part yeah. where you wrote, um, "How many embryos do I want to implant? Am I trying for one kid? Am I trying for twins?" And I liked how you put, yeah. "Although they have our blood, my bloodline, since there's no um, father right now, they would always have mm-hmm. each other." Can I ask now, like, since yeah. the since the twins are born, mm-hmm. have you discovered or figured out like your method of how you're going to talk to your twins about their very great DNA. question. Um, I'm I'm going through this right now. You know, obviously, I'm going to be honest, right? And I'm going to tell them that I, you know, I wanted them so much that I chose to do this without a biological father that you know lives in our home. You know, it's hard. How do you tell a three year old? You know, uh, you know, I was in these bad relationships, and you know, so I think it's going to be that families look different. Um, we don't have a father that lives with us. You came from a I, I am working through this. Yeah, I can't even answer the question right now. I feel like I'm going to go sit down with a, a child psychologist, actually, and and have them kind of walk me through. Because you can't start birds and the bees at three years old. They're not going to get it. But I think they will get that every family's different. I wanted you so badly. So I went out and picked your biological dad. was a very smart man. He played sports and this, that, and the other. And I was, you know, fortunate enough to get pregnant with you all. And we have, you know... And, and have you at the same time that's called twins and you know, so I'm working through this obviously I don't have this nailed but <laughs> I want to be honest as soon as possible because they're going to start asking they're pointing at things in the wall right now and going dad and I have no idea where that's coming from Sesame Street you hear dad you hear dad when they watch this Daniel Tiger show which is like a Mr. Rogers knockoff but I have literally zero idea where they're getting dad which is odd and the other thing they're doing and I'll just I just find it interesting I just feel like I should share these things because I think other women are going to probably be doing similar things they uh they're uh, they are really fascinated with men so we live in a high-rise apartment building in denver and you know the other day a gentleman got on he was tall they like tall guys i don't know why you know eli will just go up and hold any random man's hand just he just goes and holds your hand and they look at me and i don't know what he's doing like i really don't know but i find it so interesting and i don't know how to explain that and i think it's more of a novelty thing because their their nanny is a woman. I have mostly women coming through at my house. All their babysitters are women. You, you get it. It's just interesting. So I have to figure out how I'm going to nail this topic. But honesty is the number one thing. You know, I know I babysat for a single mom here in the D.C. area that had twins. And yeah. um, they were six at the time. They're a little bit older now. But she's amazing. Yeah. And they're just so open and honest with each other. And, yeah. you know, she has a lot of people coming in and out, like you mentioned. So I think we're going to get, you know, people can call into our podcast. So we'll probably get um people experiencing the same thing and i think it's fantastic 
that you are in this point, um, you know, with your children and that um, you're just honest about the conversation and that there's, it's great. You're creating, you know, your own pathway and your own family. Um, so love that. I just want to commend you, Sarah, for just admitting, Hey, listen, you haven't figured it out all yet. Like, no, I haven't. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's okay. You know, maybe, maybe that's a discovery process in itself. And, and it's hard to have that all figured out. You just getting to the baby part and not getting too excited about that before they're here. And it's also, you have that child or two children in my case, and you're in survival mode that you're trying to hold down a job, figure out childcare, raise your children, bond with your children, build your, build your village. So exactly. So this will, you know, the the conversation will happen. It will probably happen sooner rather than later. I I think it's really cute how your sons are gravitating towards men. I think that just shows like how, um, loving of uh, and nurturing of a home you've already built for them that they feel so comfortable to go up to a stranger to show them affection essentially is what it looks like they're doing. Yeah, yeah. So that's a, that is a good thing. Um, people are weirded out by it, but yes, they're, <laughs> they're not afraid. Of, they just must of, not be kid people because I, I would yeah, never be weirded out about that. So cute. Seriously, I love it. But yeah, so so basically, just to recap everything, mm-hmm. so you were th- so you you were thirty nine when you had the embryos implanted and forty yep. you gave birth. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's amazing. That's exactly right. And your yep. son's names are Abel, A B E L, and Eli. And they're how old today? Two years and four months old. Oh, well, congratulations on such a remarkable story. Thanks for being public and telling your story um, because that's its own bravery. It is. And just you're an inspiration to so many, Sarah, and especially to share your story on CNN. I mean, a total inspiration. It was an honor to have you on our show today. And to you guys, I want to thank you for what you're doing. And I'll tell you, based on the, so I wrote that article and the response was wild. So what you're doing, I know, and you know, I'm guessing already, but there is a huge audience of women out there that need to be validated and affirmed and told that they're not crazy and it's okay. And yes, it's scary as heck, but you know, you're allowed to be a mom. Yeah, That's and right. change your mind, and there's many pathways uh-huh. to parenthood. There doesn't have to be just one way. That's right. Amazing. Amazing. Well, thank, thank you, you, Sarah. Thank have you. a great thank day. You. We'll be in touch okay. and keep up with I'd you on social. Okay. Bye. Bye for now. Bye. So, Val, that was amazing. Sarah is, like, the most spectacular woman I've ever heard I know speak you. about IVF and egg freezing and... That's that woman has so much courage and her story was really great. Let's dive into maybe a little bit of the conversation of eggs and embryos. Maybe this is new terminology no one's ever really discussed or shown the difference because there is right. a difference. Oh, absolutely. And I think because you and I have both been in the fertility space for a very long time, we just take for granted that we know what that means, but I know from personal experience when I speak with friends about egg freezing or maybe the potential of embryo freezing if they are a bit older, um, a lot of people very honestly sometimes don't know the difference. Well, and sometimes we interchange them accidentally and we don't even realize we're saying it or people say it in conversation like, oh, my embryos, oh, my eggs. But eggs or oocytes yes. are unfertilized, independent female 
genetics. Right. And DNA. Only we got them, ladies. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's unique to us. Yes. And then men obviously have sperm. Of course. But when you take the egg and the sperm and they match and mm-hmm. meet up and have a little meetup group and um, they fertilize, that is what is called an embryo. Right, right. And then you'll, um, you know, it was very popular recently in the media with Sofia Vergara, and she had made embryos with her ex-fiance, and there were some lawsuits involved because it has both of their genetic material. So that's a very different story and something that's very different than as a woman, if you freeze your eggs, that's only you. And you can choose very much like Sarah did, who will be the father of your child um, and go through all the proper precautions and just like Sarah mentioned you know he was an athlete he was this tall so you Mm -hmm. can kind of choose it's unique because you don't have to think about all the legal aspects that like Sophia had to think about right. or didn't think about. And that's mm-hmm. why she's in these predicaments. Yeah. Um, because when you buy the genetic material of sperm and then you use your own genetic material of eggs and you make embryos, they're unique and owned by you. Right. Um, versus if you do it with a partner or a gay friend or a lesbian couple, you know, right. that is, there's some ownership there where the legal aspect has to go. Right. No, so you I need to think about that. Yeah. And you know a little bit more about the sperm, uh, shop, I guess, sperm shopping process. Yeah. Is that the right yeah, way to I say guess. it? I mean, the, the sperm donors, um, the, the groups, the sperm donor groups I've been yeah. very friendly with because I explored it on my own right. personal journey. Right. Whether I was going to freeze embryos this next time or if I was going to freeze eggs again. It is a little complicated, and every uh, group or or company that has sperm to offer is different. So some yeah. offer adult photos, some only offer baby pictures. Ah, okay. Yeah. So it just depends who you work with. Of course, I have my personal favorites, and you can always refer back to experience.com and look at the blogs that I wrote very in-depth and detailed about that if you're in that process right now and you want right. to hurry up and figure that piece of your puzzle out. Um, that is totally understandable that you're anxious to hear about that. Um, so there's plenty of blogs that I wrote all about sperm yeah. um, and the sperm selection process. Mm-hmm. But just to get back to like how Sarah Lenti, she did pick a sperm donor. Mm-hmm. So it's her own eggs. The clinic injected them with sperm. And, right. um, you know, at 39, that was really impressive. But I think we need to talk about egg math a little bit mm-hmm. because just because she got 22 eggs, well, she got 12 the first time she froze at 36. Right. And then at 39, she got uh, 22 eggs. But see how only seven embryos were created from that? Right. Yes, people think, and from what I've heard from friends, that you freeze tw- or you retrieve 22 eggs. That's 22 potential babies Burst. that you could have. Yeah, and that is not, not the case. You know, yeah. a lot of eggs or some eggs can be lost in the thawing process when you're mm-hmm. choosing to use them. Right. Um, even when you make embryos, not all of them are... Viable. You know, viable, exactly. And I know Sarah mentioned she said her doctor just did a, a visual test of sorts, which can speak to his experience. You know, each doctors have very different Well, and they might have processes. equipment in the lab. Like, for example, there's new uh, incubators out there that will mm-hmm. monitor it in real time with a camera right. versus just being in a Petri dish and then you check it on that day. Right. So maybe there was some technology there that helped yeah. him. Yeah, and we don't know that. But, you know, sometimes these physicians have just been in the industry so long that they really just can tell visually from you know with the equipment and the technology it makes a huge difference 
And even if she had chosen to do a PGS or PGD, it's not 100% perfect by any means. Right. Because we're only pulling one cell out of a many. Right. And what if they chose the wrong cell exactly. that didn't have the genetic right. disposition? That's right. At these big... Uh, reproductive health conferences that's always kind of a, a, a issue yeah you or know, a topic talk, that's brought up it's, it's, it's a it's a topic a point of discussion a point because, of discussion yes uh you know we have to evaluate what's the cost versus what's the take-home advantage mm-hmm. and sometimes um they you know definitely have a place and and sometimes maybe it wouldn't be the best for that couple Absolutely. And we will definitely get more into that after we take a quick break from our sponsor. Seattle Sperm Bank provides couples and individuals with the choices that they need to make the dream of conception, pregnancy and childbirth a reality. They are delivering the highest quality standards with donor recruitment, screening, genetic testing, storage and distribution of their specimens. Contact their dedicated team at 206-588-1484 or email Info at seattlespermbank.com for quality guidance and support through your fertility process. Visit seattlespermbank.com and mention Egg Club for a special offer. And welcome back. You know, Sarah just brought up so many, so many great points. And I thought it was just so interesting uh, what a strong female figure she was. And the fact that her and her doctor had a very candid discussion about, you know, she's like, I'm only doing this once. I want to put three back in. And then Mm -hmm. he was like... Hell no. Right. Like, no way. Like, well, we put for know him from working with reproductive endocrinologists that the right. singleton, um, one single transfer is very much a uh, desired choice right. for um, physician practice. Right. And Especially today. I mean, yeah. a few years ago, it was a different story. That's why. Well, we know, know more about embryos now. Absolutely. And the technology. what they look like with the technology. Right. So, right. Um, single. 10 um, births have less risks than than twins or Absolutely. triplets. Right. Like, for example, her twins were born early and they had to be in the NICU for quite some time. Right. So right. there is a, a risk. You usually don't make it to 40 weeks. Pregnancy mm-hmm. is usually 40 weeks. Right. Or just under. Mm-hmm. And that's what it takes for uh, to grow a healthy human. Right. Um, and I think we need to point out, too, that like when we were talking about all the egg math, the average egg that you freeze Mm -hmm. has between two and 12% to turn into a live birth. So crazy. Yeah, it really is. So the whole concept of putting in three, that is a very high percentage of what would turn into a live birth, especially if he's seeing them on these, you know, technology and saying, Oh, these are really great embryos. Right. Right. And she made a good point too, because her twins, I believe were born 10 weeks early and she, you know, she said herself that if they had put three embryos back in and all of them took, she doesn't know if, you know, Any she'd feel confident if they had survived. You know, it all worked out for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think another good point to bring up is that, you know, she wasn't advocating that you wait till you're 39, but yes. about how birthdays are so instrumental in getting that deadline in your head, like, Hey, listen, here is kind of my cutoff of when I'm going to count for that relationship to pan out or work. Right. It kind of has to be in the world of women's fertility because we used to joke at my old job, the, uh, 
the 35-year-old cliff, they called it. Oh, I know. That's, the egg cliff. The egg cliff. I know that sounds so bad, and it's we only well, said I'm that. I'm 35. <laughs> but you Darn look it. 30, so you're great. It doesn't matter, I though. Know, I we know, I know, We are a biological age, and that is the harsh reality right. of birthdays, mm-hmm. is that you're going to be 33, Stephanie. You're Thank biologically you. 33 right you know i am 35 i'm biologically 35 it doesn't matter how much yoga you do how healthy you eat how many smoothies you have your biological age is the age of your eggs and it's the number one determinant of you you know your chances of having a child yeah so and you know normally i think in any other realm i would be you know age doesn't matter do what you feel don't let it stop you from you know taking this new opportunity right but in this case you kind of have to rely on birthdays as a deadline to choose. Like she said, if by 38 I am not pregnant, I'm going to do this. I'm going right. to take it I'm into my married, own hands. I'm going to become a single mom and I'm going right. to be okay with that. I, what I really identified with Sarah is that she grew up in a very religious household and I grew up in a very faith-based family as well. Really? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I have had to have these long conversations with my parents and kind of prepare them that, hey, listen, this might be the path I have to take or want to take later mm-hmm. in life. Um, and but that's I've, tough. Yeah, it is tough because you we never see ourselves going down that one particular road. Like we want that traditional marriage family picture, the picket white fence and the 2.5 kids and the dog. But if it doesn't look that way. I think, you know, society is starting to change about different paths to parenthood and how it doesn't, I mean, there's this whole growing demographic of women that are being single moms or dads that are being single dads or gay and lesbian couples that are creating families. And you guys even called it out in the interview that what she said, this was really beautiful is that if they don't have a father, the two twins will have each other other. and you actually shared a link on one of your social media sites about another woman who um i believe was originally from africa and talked about being a potential single mother and she said the you know when she was growing up in the country that she had lived in it was very much like a tribe mentality where even if they didn't have a father there was a grandmother there were friends there were neighbors or a grandfather or they had this this village of people that took care of them right and i remember that right and you know if if the listeners had listened to uh the last episode i talked about you know my personal journey and living in south america currently but it's even there's more of a familial culture there that we just don't have in the states and i it's, think that we're just too independent as individuals right. like we've really become an individual country mm-hmm. where you know like even just look at the businesses and things that we start um we're, we're entrepreneurish in right. that aspect. which is great too because it allows women to have kids later and, and it it's not competition upon. And oh, yeah. so many great things but the one thing i do feel like is lacking is that that familial right where your neighbor could watch your kids because there's eight kids running around too and they mm-hmm. can join or oh you're making me yeah, want to start a daycare <laughs> <laughs> or we'll just knock down the walls of this apartment building yeah. or apartment buildings we live in and all you know Make raise kids shift. together it'll be an airbnb for child rearing <laughs> you know we have so many business ideas i know outside of egg raising. i know it's a snowball it's, effect is, for sure is, for sure but it, you know this whole mantra is really changing just like our economy is changing with the work environment or the sharing economy is changing how we mm. travel um yeah. you know i think that ivf being o- over 40 years old now as an industry is really shaping i mean there's five million 
IVF babies have been born, oh, correct? Yes. And yeah, I think that's the statistic right. now. Increasing. Yeah, like and crazy. it's increasing daily, right? Yes. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because when we think about it, like, why are people having such a hard time having children naturally? And maybe it's because of our culture. Maybe it's because of uh, how we're waiting later in life. Oh, I'm sure. And, you know, we just don't know and this is a discussion I'm sure for a different episode, but if what we put in our food is damaging, you know, yeah. our hormones I mean, and everybody soy knows is related like, to estrogen. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know the exact studies that show the detriment, but it has to have some bearing that the hormones and well, fillers and, we put in our food and the preservatives, how mm-hmm. is that affecting our hormone structures and how we conceive? Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, it definitely, is concerning. I mean, I don't know anyone that doesn't know someone with cancer or survived cancer or died from cancer. So it's really sad because it's coming younger and younger. I think the takeaway really is that, you know, we want to allow ourselves to change our mind. And that's Mm -hmm. what we're trying to change the conversation about egg freezing, change the conversation about fertility in general is that it's about giving yourself options. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And there's just, there's no one right way. I think that's, you know, to have your family. Right. And what you mentioned before, I think I did not grow up in a conservative conservative household. So I feel very fortunate that I'm sure if I told my mom I wanted to have a, a child solo, she would fully support it and ask when she could move in and help. <laughs> and my Sounds sister would be supportive. Mom. And absolutely. She's wonderful. Hi, mom. The point is, is that I, I, I feel for those that have to, you know, feel have like that they have struggle to please too. parents. And on top of all of this, right? Yeah, it's already a socially people. stigmatized situation. Right. Um, that I hope we're removing that stigma, that we don't think of single motherhood as a sad option. Right. That it's actually very empowering mm-hmm. and that you can... I mean, it's sad that we think that we have to have the male component in order to be complete. Right. I think partnership is great. Um, or, you know, having, finding your, your, your puzzle piece right. to complete your, your lobster. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> From that but, or the episode. lid to your pot, you know, but like, oh, yeah. there's always time for love. Yeah. You could find love at 50 after you've already started your family and had twins like Sarah did. Right, right. Yeah, no, there's always time and it's just, it doesn't always have to look the exact same for everyone. I mean, there's no shame in whoever wants to have a family early and do that. It's funny because I froze my eggs, but I'm still not even 100% sure I want children. I just want to see where life goes. I think that missing puzzle piece helps us go into that like whether it's finding a sperm donor that mm-hmm. you really feel like you're connected to mm-hmm. or whether it's finding that partner yeah. to do life with or whether it's you know whatever path that takes i think sometimes right. we just need that that missing piece to know what we want and yeah. i think it's okay not to know what we want right and it's like and you said to out. change your mind well and i like how sarah said i don't know what i'm going to tell my sons about their origin story or how they came into the world yeah that was really vulnerable and beautiful i really loved that she was just like i don't have the perfect answer for or this or i don't have it all figured out right well today who does? tomorrow right nope. that's the thing we're all just the Instagram pictures of the highlight reel is not always what behind the scenes is happening in your life. And Absolutely. So. And like strong enough to stand by her convictions because so often we are like, okay, well, you know, I'll do this Saturday or I'll complete this by 35. And then when that rolls around, we push it back a year or we push our to-do list to Monday. 
and she just stood by what she wanted and she made a goal and she did it. Like there's no excuses, no BS. And I just really think that's awesome. And I admire that about her. Yeah. Sarah's a great role model. Hey, Sarah. I know I haven't met you, but yeah, it was fun listening. Very fun. So, yes. well, thanks so much, Stephanie, for being a part of this yeah. episode. And I wish the other it. girls could have come and joined us too, because that would have been a really fun oh, of course. time. But next time, maybe we'll yes. all get together. Uh, you can call us at 978 Egg Club, which is 978 344 2582. Call us from Europe, Australia, Africa. We don't care. Give it's us a, a call. It's a Google Voice number. It's That's a the Google. magic. I know. I know. I'm, you're going to have to teach me that. Oh, that is that is simple. <laughs> I know it's life changing. Yeah. But you could also email us too. And don't worry about your private information. If you want it to be confidential, we can just read the question on the air and you'll, when you hear it, you'll know it's you. Of course. But um, yeah, point. so eggologyclub at gmail.com. We can't wait to hear from you. But thanks so much for joining in and listening to this episode. We are excited that you have taken the time out of your day to enrich your fertility future by understanding your options. I agree with you, Val. So we're going to sign off for today's episode, but thanks for listening and don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. So Valerie signing off. Stephanie out. Bye. You have been listening to episode 10 of the Egology Club podcast, Birthday Deadlines. On the next episode, we will be talking to top Cambridge University scientist, Dr. Emily Grossman, who is an ex expert in molecular biology and genetics. She'll reveal how she froze her eggs to take the pressure off becoming a mother, and she'll share her plans on how she's making science cool for kids. Today's episode of Egology Club was written and hosted by Valerie Landis, Stephanie Linder, Raydell Peichler, and Kara Egber. The show was produced and mixed by Shannon Holly. Caricature artwork by Peter Scott. Logo and cover art by Lily Chen. If you haven't yet, please subscribe, leave a rating, and contact us at eggologyclub.com. Do you love red wine and coffee, but you care about keeping your teeth white, then you need to be a diva. A Vino Diva. Vino Diva is a reusable wine aeration straw. It aerates your wine with every sip to make it taste incredible. And it protects your smile from red wine and coffee stains. Search Vino Diva on Amazon today. Every woman has the little black dress. Now, every woman needs the little black straw. Vino Diva. Available now with Amazon Prime.